are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We are now a full week removed from the last Timberwolves game, yet we're still three days away from the next one. We've made it about two-thirds of the way through the All-Star break layoff. I guess, yeah, we're on day seven of a nine-day layoff. Um, Ten days, I guess, total. But we're not quite there yet. Certainly certainly starting to feel like an eternity, um, but we'll uh, we'll get through it together. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the Kevin Garnett non-Jersey retirement in Minnesota. We did discuss this a little bit a few episodes ago, but John Krasinski of The Athletic wrote a, an extended piece on the Garnett-Timberwolves relationship, so I wanted to talk through that, hit some of the high points, and kind of uh, revisit the uh, the hot... Um, discussion point uh, for many Wolves fans that has just kind of consumed many of us over this all-star break and how disappointing the news of, of Garnett's Jersey retirement upcoming with the Boston Celtics is for Wolves fans. Then we'll have some fun with numbers at the all-star break. Even though the Wolves only have 29 games left, everyone views this as the unofficial midway point of the season. So we might as well pull a few numbers that, that will probably come as surprising to, to many listeners, both as a team, some team numbers, and some individual player numbers as well. Um, stay tuned for that. It's going to be a lot of fun to to kind of dive into those. First off, a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to us on Twitter, or excuse me, follow us on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves. That's at LockedOnTWolves. Don't forget the T. Um, so first of all, related to the Kevin Garnett situation, if you missed it, um, late last week, I think it was, um, late Thursday actually. So just prior to all the all-star game festivities, the Boston Celtics announced that they would be retiring Kevin Garnett's Jersey number five next season in the 2020, 21 season. They haven't released a date yet, but just announced that it would be happening. It wasn't exactly a shoe in because he did only play a handful of seasons there. Um, of course he was a huge part of that title team. They won the title in his first season in Boston. So I think it makes sense. I, th- I think it was probably always more likely than not, but with the Celtics history, um, and, and you know, the jerseys they do have hanging in the rafters, it, it's maybe a little bit, it was, it wasn't a shoe in exactly. Um, but, but it does make sense. I think what's most disappointing and who knows if the Celtics were waiting to see if the Wolves were going to do it first out of a little bit of respect, but, um, because it isn't happening in Minnesota that made it more difficult. And then on Friday, Garnett was, um, named as a, as officially as a finalist for the hall of fame class this year that will be announced on April 4th. And we talked about this at the, at the time, or I guess maybe it was on Monday's podcast of this week, Monday's episode, um, that, that Garnett um, is, is I mean, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's going to go in with Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant and others, and he still wouldn't have patched things over with the Timberwolves. And so that could make for an uncomfortable Hall of Fame speech. It's certainly going to be a little bit disappointing. It's not quite like baseball when you have to pick a, a team cap to wear on your plaque. Um, so you have to go in as part of one team or another. Um, so thankfully that's not a situation because that, that would be a situation, even though Garnett spent – two to three I mean several more years in Minnesota than he did in Boston and was easily the best player in Minnesota history still is in Minnesota Timberwolves history and Boston has just this this stacked legacy of players I mean who knows I, I don't really at this moment in time Garnett being an emotional person clearly would pick the Boston Celtics but thankfully it doesn't necessarily come to that however the it's almost equivalent um the 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 near equivalent I guess would be 
would be Garnett having his jersey retired in Boston before he does in Minnesota. And, and it's extremely disappointing to Wolves fans. We talked a little bit about the, the disagreement between Garnett and Glenn Taylor on this podcast previously. John Krasinski does a great job at The Athletic. I'm not going to read too much of this verbatim. It is behind uh, the subscription for The Athletic. And um, if you don't have one, I, I would endorse it. Just, I mean, John Krasinski is fantastic. He does great work, um, as do many of the other writers at The Athletic. Um, so Krasinski basically got a lot of questions on Twitter, it sounds like, about the jersey retirement and lack thereof in, at Target Center. So we actually went deep on the overall relationship between Garnett and the Timberwolves and, and basically says what everybody knew, that it was a it's a Glenn Taylor, Kevin Garnett disagreement. Um, I think a couple of the, the points that maybe were a little bit surprising or we didn't necessarily have all the details were... Um, were how I mean we we knew that Kevin Garnett back in 2008 fought the idea of a trade and at the 11th hour he finally kind of relented but I mean Krasinski really makes it sound like Garnett literally didn't want it at all and, and really had to be talked into it at the very end because basically this is paraphrasing his quote which had a few more expletives in it than, than I think we're willing to share on this podcast but Garnett just said I built this house meaning Minnesota, meaning Target Center, didn't want to leave, and who was upset that they traded him was upset that the Wolves decided that they weren't going to build around a 32-year-old Kevin Garnett, and and that's fair. You understand why the Wolves did it. You also understand why Garnett would be upset. Um, and then, of course, the famous Taylor quote that really set everything off was when he was asked about the team potentially tanking uh, in Garnett's final year, and Taylor literally responded with, "quote I'd say KG tanked it. Garnett only missed five games at the end of the season with a knee injury." I'd be willing to bet the Wolves asked him to sit out, whether it was due to tanking or just they didn't want him to get hurt before they were trying to trade him. And of course, that was that was basically it. Um, and and that's what really set Garnett off. Uh, Flip Saunders obviously patched things over in between. Um, he talked him into waving his trade clause when no trade clause when he was with Brooklyn to come to Minnesota. Um, he only played five games in that year because of injury and then re-signed a two-year, $16.5 million deal for the next two seasons. And then that offseason is when Flip passed away. And Garnett, the, in the year when Sam Mitchell was the interim coach, Garnett played. He started a number of games. Um, he was on the bench all season. He was part of the team and was expected to help kind of um, lead Carl Anthony Towns, who never got to play for Flip Saunders, Andrew Wiggins, Ricky Rubio even at the time, all those guys. And then Mitchell was fired the last day of the season. Garnett wasn't consulted, and that really upset Garnett that he wasn't at least part of that conversation as he was planning to be part of the team's front office and or potentially ownership group upon his retirement. And the Wolves basically said, hey, yeah, this means we don't really want you back. And Garnett even said, I had missed this quote, but he said that he would have been willing to play for Tom Thibodeau and work with him when Tibbs came on board. Um but then felt like the because he wasn't consulted about the coaching change and front office changes that Garnett felt he wasn't wanted and, and then just retired and went about his business. And, and you'll recall there was no retirement press conference. There was no pomp and circumstance. It just kind of happened. And then Garnett crisscrossed the country working with other teams and their young big men, working with Giannis in Milwaukee, working with um, Blake Griffin and others in, in Los Angeles, the Clippers. And, and uh, you know, that was that was it. Um the, and Garnett basically hasn't been back. He did make the surprise appearance last season in the 1819. I think it was late in 2018, November, December of that year, when the Wolves rolled out the Prince jerseys and had a tribute to Prince. Garnett showed up wearing a Prince jersey. The place went nuts. He sat courtside. It was awesome. And that was the last time he's been back. 
Um, Krasinski holds out some hope as some of the other Wolves front office members, Ethan Kasson, who's the team CEO and has been with the team forever. Ryan Tankey, the CEO, same thing. Both know Garnett and are friendly with him. Ryan Saunders, obviously, um, and Garnett have a good relationship. So there is some hope that there could be a future there. Um, but at this point, Garnett's, the ball is in his court. Glenn Taylor has said that. The ball is in Garnett's court. But Garnett's also upset with Glenn Taylor and he's also with with the passion that Garnett has it's not something that's just going to change with the snap of fingers um I think it wouldn't surprise me if the Wolves made a push to um to try and get Garnett to agree to come back for Jersey retirement before the date in Boston if both can happen next season and perhaps um perhaps Garnett's can happen first just just and I'm sure that's something Boston would understand it's not something the Celtics would probably care about much um and the Wolves would I'm sure loop them in but I'm sure that Ryan Saunders, Tanky, Ethan Casson, I'm sure those guys are going to try and make a push to get Garnett on board with that um, so it can happen. Because otherwise, it's going to be that's going to be a distraction. It's going to be a talking point. It's going to be something Garnett's asked about. It's going to be something the Wolves are asked about. Um, and uh, ironically, the Wolves actually play the Celtics next um, this coming Saturday. So who knows if it'll come up in any of the pregame conversations there. Obviously, none of the guys playing for the Celtics were there when, when KG was. But still... Um, Really kind of a hard thing to watch unfold the way that it has. And uh, Krasinski has a good kind of oral history of the whole thing um, at The Athletic. So go over there and check it out. But those are the cliff notes. That's kind of where things stand. Um, expect the Wolves to make a push to try and get something figured out. But at this point, um, unfortunately, that's that's where we're at. All right, next up, we're going to have some fun with numbers. We're going to start with some team stats that might surprise you and talk about the context surrounding them as we sit here at the All-Star break. As I began to evaluate team stats to have this conversation about where the team's at with 29 games to go, it hit me, and especially when I was looking at the individual stats, that there aren't really very many stats that I can pull for guys who have been on the been on the team and been part of the rotation. Um, I mean, it's basically a brand new team, as it was a couple of weeks ago. You look at the top minutes, the top minutes getters on this team. And most of them are gone. Wiggins was number one. He's gone. Covington, number two. He's gone. Then you have Culver and Akogi. And Towns are the next three. But then it's Teague, Shabazz Napier, Gorgi Jang, Travian Graham, Katie Bates, Diap. Those guys are all no longer with the organization. So only three of the top 10 players in minutes played for the season are still with the team. And so that limits the number of stats that are relevant on an individual basis, basically to Culver, Akogi, and Towns. Um, and then even as a team, I, I think it still matters because the Wolves are running the same system as the, I mean, they have been all season, obviously the same coach, the same star player in towns, and there have been only three games since the trade. So I pulled a few team stats that have come up in, in a game previews throughout the season, but I think are important to kind of underscore and look at why they're significant at this stage. First of all, we mentioned this the other day on the podcast, but I think it's, it's, Interesting to point out that the Wolves are actually still 17th in defensive rating in the league. That's not good, um, but it's also not nearly as bad as I think casual fans would expect. I mean, the, given that the knock on Towns is, oh, he doesn't play defense, and the knock on Russell moving forward is he doesn't play defense. Um, but 17th, I mean, you can make the playoffs. If you're a top 10 offense and have the 17th best defense, you're probably a fringy playoff team at worst. Um, and at the pace the Wolves play, that's, that's part of the reason why their defensive rating is so okay. Um, along with that, another surprising stat, if you hear that they have the 17th best defensive rating, it may surprise you to see that the Wolves also are 27th in opponents points per game. So there's only three teams giving up more points per game to their opponents than the Timberwolves. But because defensive rating is a, is based on 
100 possessions. Um, the Wolves place at such a fast pace. They're currently actually seventh in the NBA in pace, but they were top three for a long time um, during the first part of the season. Because the Wolves play at such a fast pace, um, and, and that's part of the reason their defensive rating looks okay. Um, but all that to say, it's still better than you might expect it to be. And part of that's due to, you know, Robert Covington was on the team and was a really good help defender and a good transition defender, and that matters. Um, and then Josh Okogie also has been getting significant run, and he's he remains a really good defender. Um, and Jared Culver, for as bad as he's been on offense, has been a decent defender all season. Um, so I think that's important to note as well. Um, beyond that, the Wolves haven't really had um, all that many solid individual defenders. Um, Gorgie Jang was okay. James Johnson over the over three games has been good, and and he's somebody to keep an eye on moving forward as just a solid team defender. He's not Robert Covington, um, but he can shore up you know that side of the ball a little bit for the Wolves. Um, but primarily, I mean, Akogi and Culver are the only guys still on the team who have been consistent defensively. We talked about this um I think on Tuesday's podcast this week that Towns is actually the league's worst center when it comes to ESPN's real plus minus uh, defensive real plus minus statistic and and one of the worst I think 10 players in the league by that metric obviously that's one metric other box score stats would suggest he's been okay um, but I think we're I think the consensus is it's, we're a little bit more on the side of him not being a very a very good defender this season um, now we'll get into him a little bit more here in a second because we also talked about um, about Towns at the rim and Towns' rate stats this season the other day on the podcast, and I think we should revisit that too. Um, but before we do that, related to team stats, it's important to note that the Wolves are doing exactly what they want to do um, when it comes to three-point attempts, free-throw attempts, and and the rates at which they shoot both attempt both of those shot types. Um, I think generally it's kind of understood that the Wolves shoot a lot of threes and don't make a lot, but if you really look at the numbers, that's also true of free-throw shooting too. The Wolves remain third in the league in both three-point attempts per game and three-point attempt rate, which is the um, essentially the percentage of their field goal attempts that are three-pointers, um, which is 43.3% of all the Timberwolves shot attempts are three-point shot attempts. Again, that's third highest in the league. You look at their percentage, they're shooting 33.2%, which is 29th in the league in three-point shooting percentage. So shooting the third most, making the second least from a percentage standpoint, um, from a just a counting stats amount. I mean, they're making the sixth most per game, but that's simply because they're shooting so many. Um, so they're shooting essentially 13 for 40 on a nightly basis, rounding, rounding those numbers. Um, free throw-wise, they're actually shooting the third most free throw attempts, which surprised me a little bit. I knew that they were doing okay in that category, but when you watch a Timberwolves game, it feels like Towns should be getting to the free throw line more often than he does. And um, I guess Andrew Wiggins did a good job of that early this season. Um, but beyond that, the Wolves don't really have that many guys that are consistent at getting to the free throw line. Um, and, and then that said, the issue is that the Wolves are still 22nd in free throw percentage. They're only shooting 75.7% from the free throw line this season. Towns is shooting a career worst 79.6%. He started off horribly the first couple of weeks of the season has been a lot better lately. So I'd expect that number to get back into the mid, the low to mid eighties for the rest of the season, or that's, I think where he'll finish the season, um, which is right in line with where he should be. Um, Wiggins is only shooting 72% from the line. Um, Josh Kogi, 79.1%. We all know that Jared Culver's had major struggles at the three-point line this season. He's attempting just under two free throws a game, and he's shooting just 46.5%. Um, I mean, 
raw numbers, he's only he's 46 of 99, so it's not like he shot a ton of free throws, but he's got to be better than a, a sub 50% free throw shooter. That's that's a big drag on that number for sure. Uh, but Towns also shooting a career low matters too. So the Wolves are third in the league in three-point attempts per game, third in free throw attempts per game, um, and also third in three-point attempt rate and fifth in free throw rate, um, free throw attempt rate. And that's exactly where Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders and the Wolves brass wants to be. It's the percentages being in the being 22nd in the league in free throw percentage and 29th in, in three-point percentage that really are impacting this offense. And the reason why the offense is only 22nd in offensive rating, um, the Wolves, again, are actually 14th in points per game because of the pace that they play at. But 22nd in offensive rating is not where the Wolves can need to be. They need to be a top 10 offense. If they're going to be a middle-of-the-pack defense which so far they they pretty much have been, um, they need to be a top 10 offense if they're going to be a playoff team. And there's no excuse now with the talent of D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns and and the synergy that those two guys should have on the floor with the with their playing styles. They've only played one game together, obviously, um, but that should help elevate this offense. Also adding the three-point shooting of Juancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley especially, um, even some James Johnson brings some efficiency to the table. Um, but the Wolves are... I'm granted they subbed out some talented offensive players, even a guy like Robert Covington or um, somebody who's a little steadier, like a Shabazz Napier or even a Jeff Teague. Um, the Wolves now have the type of roster that Gerson Rosas wants with more floor spacing, with more outside shooting, um, and with the ability to surround towns with talent um, to make him kind of the linchpin of the offense. So those are the key stats that stick out from a team side um, that are perhaps a little bit surprising. Um, there's one other team stat I want to get to, and then I want to talk a little bit about Towns overall here as we wrap up the podcast for today. Before we do that, I did want to talk briefly about advertising locally with Locked on Wolves. If you've been a listener of this podcast, and I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On already to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked on Wolves is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Minnesota Timberwolves fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. And not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Wolves fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Okay, in today's final segment, I wanted to briefly touch on one more team stat that I, I think is really important to point out. The Wolves currently this season are 16-37. and 37. Not good. They're, I think, the third worst record in the entire league um, with only Golden State and Cleveland, I believe at having worse records. There's a couple teams that are close by. Um, However, the Wolves' Pythagorean record, or expected win-loss, depending on how you want to classify it, is 21-32. and 16 wins versus 21 wins. That's five wins, only about two-thirds of the way through the the actual schedule that the Wolves have lost in the Pythagorean column, basically meaning that they've lost close games. It's essentially based on point differential. And the Wolves have been unlucky in close games, They've also had some games where they've been way up. Obviously, the Kings game comes to mind. Um, there were some other recent games as well. Same thing. Um, 
that, well, actually, just the Charlotte game, the last game before the break, the Wolves were up double digits in the second half in that game, too, against a team they should have beaten, even without Carl Anthony Towns. And the Wolves giving up these big leads, even though they've been blown out in some games, they've had a lot of close games. They've had a lot of games where they've had late leads and they've lost the lead. And that lends itself to this just hideous Pythagorean record or the difference between the Pythagorean record and the actual record. Um, Longtime Wolves fans will remember the Kevin Love, Rick Adelman season when they won 40 games, but they had the win-loss point differential, the Pythagorean win-loss of like a it was like a 48 or 49 win team. The team underperformed by like eight or nine games throughout the season. The Wolves are actually on pace to do that again. Um, granted, it doesn't matter as much when the difference is between 48 wins in a playoff spot and 40 wins in no playoff spot as, say, the Wolves finish with 29 wins instead of 35 wins. I mean, that's not really going to matter outside of, out of I guess, helping their their draft position. But it's something... It's something crazy to think about and also if the season ends that way you can you can look at a little bit of a course correction next year with luck um i suppose the roster is largely going to be changed over but you consider that you know some of the key players towns and then um and obviously the coaching staff um are going to still be intact and there was just simply some bad luck this year um now of course there's more things that play into that than luck there's execution obviously there's crunch time defense and offense and how the wolves execute on both ends of the floor and and those things matter as well um but there is certainly some luck involved and and like for instance the sacramento loss there was plenty of incompetence in that game both from the players and the coaching but there is also some officiating incompetence related to De'Aaron fox's free throw and you play that scenario out a thousand times i mean literally that scenario had happened, what, 6,800 times in the past 25 years, and nobody had ever won in the situation where the Kings were down 17 with under three minutes to play. Um, so there was some really bad luck involved there, too, on top of the poor execution uh, from the coaches and the players. So um, I think that's important to note. The Wolves perhaps haven't been quite as bad as their record shows. Um, I know that that doesn't make anybody feel any better, and it, ultimately in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But still interesting to note, and that's that's what we're doing here. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about Towns just just real quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on Towns at the Rim because we did talk about that if you heard Tuesday's episode. Um, but just I do want to hit on again because I think it's significant that opponents are only shooting when Towns is defending the Rim in the restricted area. Opponents are only shooting 51.2%. That's fantastic. The only notable names that are ahead of him among guys who have played you know, 30 or more games this year. So a significant number of games, the Lopez brothers have been great there and the Bucks are a good defensive team. Um, Ivaka Zubats on the Clippers, Deandre Jordan from the Nets, um, Rudy Gobert on the jazz, um, Jakob Pertl on the Spurs. And there's only really like 15 guys. Anthony Davis is slightly ahead of him. Hassan Whiteside, Kristaps Porzingis has the same number, but that's a lot better than what I think anybody would expect from towns. Look at, at some of the names that are behind him where opponents are shooting better than 51.2% at the rim. Steven Adams, about 54% at the rim. Um, Daniel Tice, who is widely seen as a very good defender with the Boston Celtics, 54%. Jonas Valanciunas, um, Andre Drummond, Mason Plumlee, uh, Mark Gasol, who only has played in 35 games, same as Towns. Enos Kanter, Nikola Vucevic, um, Bam Adebayo, Tamana Sabonis, all those guys, opponents are shooting better at the rim against Towns are better at the rim against them than they are against Towns. Um, 
Interestingly, the worst player in the league at the center position, allowing 70% at the rim is Kevin Love, which we talked about this on Tuesday's podcast when he was with the Wolves, and I'm sure he still does this quite a bit, where he'll abandon contesting a shot to get into better defensive rebounding position. Myers Leonard and then Nikola Jokic is the third worst at 64.3% at the rim. Joel Embiid is just 60.1% at the rim. Um, so he's had issues, his issues there as well. So if we want to talk about struggling at the rim, Carlton Towns has actually been really good there. And he also hasn't fouled as team free throw attempts per game have gone down with him on the floor. We talked about that on Tuesday as well. So I don't want that to be lost in the shuffle with the Wolves actually surprisingly de- decent defense. Towns is, is part of that as well. Um, and then the last note I want to make here before we wrap up is that um, Towns overall rate stats this year have have actually trended in a positive direction. I think he's had a better season this year than last year. Granted, he's played in a lot less games and is is trending that way. But he's shooting a lot more three-pointers. He's assisting at by far a career-high rate. Um, two years ago, under Tom Thibodeau with Butler on the team, he was under 11% assist rate. He's now at 23.2% assist rate um, with his usage rate mate staying the same from last year at 28.9%. So the Wolves are trying to run their offense through Towns, and that's exactly what they're doing. The only thing that's a little concerning is the rebounding rate and then obviously the defense, which which is another conversation um, that I guess we just kind of had. But 50, or excuse me, 44.5% of Towns' shot attempts are coming from beyond the arc this season, and that's awesome. 23.2% assist rate, nearly a quarter of the possessions that Towns is on the floor for, he's assisting on. Um, and then 28.9% usage rate, so he's he's finishing the possession 29% of the time when he's on the floor as well. Um, so the Wolves are accomplishing everything they want to do in terms of running through towns. He hasn't had the talent around him, which is why it's so exciting to see him work with somebody like D'Angelo Russell and also Malik Beasley, who can both cut and spot up from outside the arc. Um, so those are all things to keep an eye on in the second half of the season to be sure. All right. That's all we have for you today here at Lockdown Wolves. Thanks once again for listening to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves. That's at Lockdown T Wolves. Don't forget the T. And if you feel so inclined, please help us out with a positive review on Apple. That definitely helps us get in front of more folks with the podcast. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.